too many times the customer comes back and says, oh man, that's a lot of money. I wasn't expecting that much. Well, here's the thing. We immediately become defensive at that point. That's the wrong thing to do. We become in an ultimately weaker position when we're trying to explain why we're trying to help him. So when they bring that up, you have to ask the question. Like, yeah, it does seem to be a lot of money. Why were you surprised about that amount for this much work? And shut up. Welcome to the Waste No Day podcast, a podcast specifically for and about the home services industry as it relates to plumbing, heating, air conditioning, and electrical. More than a podcast, Waste No Day is a credo, a determination, a mindset. It is a never-ending discipline. It is a refuse-to-lose pursuit. It is a wake-up call every morning to waste no day. Now here's your hosts, Brian Burton and Nate Minnick. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Waste No Day podcast. Your hosts, Nate and Brian, hanging out with you again. And we're looking forward to the continuation of the conversation we started last week with Joe Cunningham. That's right. He's joining us for part two of overcoming the price objection and putting it to bed. And we're going to discuss that and so much more today. And we're going to have a good time while doing it. But before, Brian and I are going to spend a little bit of time breaking down those ideas for yourselves. We're going to turn to Brian for our quote. To me, job titles don't matter. Everyone is in sales. It's the only way we stay in business. Harvey McKay. I don't recognize the name, but uh, I do recognize the principle. Harvey's a, oh, he's got to be in his 90s now if he's still alive. But he's like a, he, had, he like built up like an envelope empire or something like that. Like envelopes sold it for, I don't know, tens of millions way back in the day. Ooh, got out just in time. He writes for like the Wall Street Journal, Harvard Business Review, Forbes, like... He's a brilliant business mind and a quote machine. Nice. But I was looking for a particular, that particular quote from him that I'd heard a while back. And I don't know that it was a quote. I think it was part of an article I read by him. And it's, it struck me, you know, I'm always talking about that. Like everybody who's anything in a business is selling that business at all times to the general public. Yeah. That was something that uh, definitely uh, became much more prevalent on my radar when I came here was the whole concept of nothing happens until a sale occurs. Right. Like nothing. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're talking about your Starbucks coffee or the shoes on your feet or, you know, a, a, a phone call, your, the cell phone that you have, like all of that is a sale somewhere in that chain. And, uh, you know, I love to use the commercial analogy, which I actually used last week where, you know, you're, your TV commercial from one o'clock on a Thursday from 1 PM when, you know, relatively nobody is watching TV. They're very, I would say poorly produced. Some ad campaign managers probably listen to this. Like, yo, bro, I do my best, man. I pour my heart into these one o'clock Thursday <laughs> ads. Infomercials. <laughs> yeah. But the, the budgets are, uh, cause you know how many people listen to this show. They're everywhere. It could be anyone at any time. Uh, but they uh, they put like a lot less money into the budgets of these commercials. They, they have a lot less eyeballs on them. So, you know, the writing isn't going to the most expensive ad writing uh, company in the world. It's like, you know, you, you 
pay for what you get. You don't get a ton of eyeballs, so you don't pay a fortune into the ad. But as this records, it's Friday. Nate's wearing a green jersey. Yeah. What do we have going on uh, Sunday? We, we, Two days from now? Or yesterday, the birds. If, uh, as this episode drops the on birds. Monday, the Eagles in the Super Bowl. And yeah. if you are like Mrs. Burton, you will be watching the Super Bowl to see some commercials. And uh, the commercials that go into the Super Bowl, as we discussed last week, very high quality, very high budget. You pay a fortune for the time. And when you do that, you pay a fortune for everything else. 35-17, by the way. That's what you're predicting? Yep. Chiefs? Birds. Oh, right. Eagles. So you expect a higher quality product. Now, as we established last week, both commercials are designed to do one thing. What's that? Sell. They're designed to sell. You remembered. <clears throat> I didn't even have to prompt you this time. So if both, both commercials are designed to sell, that is what everyone involved in that commercial does for a living. Correct? That's right. What did Harvey say? Everyone is in sales. Job titles don't matter. You're just in some level of sales. So I went on to talk about the fact. I said one thing in particular. I've gotten quite a bit of feedback on the intro from last week. And I don't tend to get tons of, of feedback on the intro. It's usually on the guest. Um, I just probably like you feel like everyone skips past the intro. They hear a voice that's not ours, and then they're like, oh, I skipped a little too far, and they go back like 15 <laughs> seconds and, and press play. But I got a lot of feedback. Most of it was good. Like people said they enjoyed that um, explanation of paying performance pay in the trades versus paying hourly rates. So I was poking a little bit of fun at the owners and managers who – uh, not so much the ones that just pay their tax hourly, although I think they need to upgrade to some version of uh, performance pay in some way, shape, or form. Everyone should be on some kind of performance pay. But the ones specifically who say, because you pay performance pay, you're all about ripping the client off. <clears throat> and I was making fun of them because I, I think back to some so many of the people I've worked for that had that attitude. Because they act like the client is number one in their book. But these same people do not ever talk to customers. So judge how, they, how much they care by how often they actually talk to their clients. <clears throat> and they'll say they do because they run into one at a gas station here and there, but they're not picking up that phone. They're paying somebody else to talk to them. So I don't, I don't typically want to hear it. I feel like you're doing the trade and your people a disservice if you have no kind of performance pay in place. So the other thing I got pushed back on was talking about how if you put a performance paying shop up against a shop that pays pure hourly in terms of their reviews, the performance pay shop will have far better, let's just say Google reviews. And I've had some, I mean, even in our market, we've had some weak companies accuse us of like buying Google reviews, which as far as I know, Mr. Marketing Guy, is impossible. No, it's not impossible. It's just frowned upon. Well, it, it's, it's possible, but if you get caught, Google's just removing you from their platform. So, like, <laughs> where's that going to leave you? Like, That's not good. It's not, a, uh, it's not, it's not dice you want to roll 
when getting reviews is so easy. Like for us, what we got, I don't know, like 3,000 or something. Yeah. I haven't looked in like a month, but we're right around maybe a little over 3,000 reviews, 4.8, uh, 8, and 9, respectively, for our three brands <clears throat> uh, average. And it's very easy to do if you run a couple hundred calls a day is, is to train your people to ask for a Google review on every call you go to. But if you look at the reviews of a performance pay company versus an hourly pay company, one, the, the people at a performance pay company tend to be happier, more driven, more professional people. Two, they're training in communication all the time. They're trying to get better at offering options. So how, are they treating their clients better or worse as a result? They're absolutely treating them better in, in so many ways. I mean, from the straight up just explaining what is going on and how it's going on in such a way that is is easily understandable and is appreciated and empathetic and all that stuff. Likeability. To what they're even talking about in terms of overall options and you know, not just let's fix problem A and then have to deal with problem B and C later on. Let's talk about fixing all of it today. And that's absolutely part of the communication as well. And even even knowing how to enter into that conversation, which is something that Joe talked about uh, on last week's podcast, as well as what he's going to be talking about on this week's podcast is critical because uh, frankly, some people are adverse to, to that initially because it feels like you're trying to expand in, into other areas that uh, are, are not initially causing a problem. But you know, do you stop your doctor when he starts asking you questions about your heart, even though you're in there because your eye hurts? No, like you, you, you go with the flow because this guy knows is he knows what he's doing and he's taking care of the holistic body of work, not just the eye, not just the ear. He's taking care of the whole body. That's his responsibility. That's his realm. Well, our realm is supposed to be the house and whatever's in the house, plumbing wise or electrical wise or HVAC wise, that's our responsibility. Now, every homeowner is going to have a little bit of different feel about how we get there, but that is part of the communication, which is why you're saying, Brian, and I agree, they're going to get a far better experience with that communicative and well-trained technician. Right. He's, he's trained to be more presentable and more likable. So that's, that's typically more professional. You know, they're, they're, they make people want to do business with them more automatically by even the way they walk up to the door. And when you're walking, walking around through your day in control of how much money you make, again, back to last week, not groveling to an owner for a dollar an hour raise at the end of a year, you're in control of it on performance pay. You can make more or less depending on how much work you want to do that day, maybe how late you want to get home. Right, and this is, this is why waiters and waitresses are not, I mean, they make an hourly, but they're not like hourly compensated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're, they're based off their performance. They're salespeople. Right. Yeah, so old grizzled uh, shop owners who don't listen to this show anyway, hopefully. Uh, next time you're at the restaurant and your waiter, your waitress offers you dessert, you go ahead and tell her, stop being a salesman and just bring my food. Well, not even just that, but as, as you used in the Starbucks analogy the other week, you know, it's, it's not even Dude, just about what like, you're offering. I, I do some brilliant analogies. That one I took from someone else. Well, so I, I get you, it. Can we I only mention it. the ones that I come up with? <laughs> my, my point is like, even, even if the waiter or the waitress doesn't even offer you a single thing on the menu and is just a food taker, an order taker, 
they're still selling their personality by how they take the order. Right. They're selling their cleanliness. Like what if they're filthy? And, and their speed and their performance. Was it correct? Was it, is it the, the right food out on the table? And did it come out with a smile? Like they don't have to offer me appetizers or desserts or, or beverages or whatever. If they do that, that's enough for me to say that was a great, was a great experience. Right? They're selling the experience. That's correct. So yes, we are all in sales, like it or not. If your company is not performing well, you are selling poorly and you probably need some training in communication, right? hundred percent. So anywho, let's jump forward. Went to Texas last week. Ooh. Uh, Amelia and I were at like a little marriage retreat Friday, Saturday, Sunday in Dallas, Fort Worth. <clears throat> uh, apologies to everyone in the Texas area that I did not come see. I didn't announce this trip because this one was for, for the marriage and we were just uh, we were just spending some us time Lady, off the phone the whole yeah, time. Like, yeah, ladies, find yourself somebody who loves their wife like Brian Burton does. Oh, you can do better, ladies. <laughs> you can do a lot better. I assure you. I would <laughs> this trip was He went to a marriage conference in Texas. Yeah. A, a weekend of communication between husband and wife. Amazing. Dallas Fort Worth. Kudos to you. Wasn't a huge fan of the area. Had some good Mexican food. Can't remember the name of the place, unfortunately. Sorry about that. Um, but it was a cool little conference experience or whatever, retreat thing. And then um, we were supposed to stay until Wednesday evening. But eh, there, it didn't seem like a ton to do, and we had never been to Austin. So <clears throat> I switched our flights from Dallas-Fort Worth back home to Austin back home. And then we took a short flight from Dallas, Fort Worth to Austin. I don't know what it was like 40 minutes or something versus like a three hour drive. And when we got to Austin, like <clears throat> much better digs. We stayed at the Hyatt place, just a you know, 18 story hotel on uh, third street, right in the city. And we walked the city and we went to all these amazing barbecue places. We, we rented a car one day and drove out to salt lick, which is a pretty famous barbecue experience there. And, uh, had a great time. Saw some neighborhoods. <clears throat> so we were walking down 6th, 6th Street. What the? 6th hey, Street. Let's bring Mike Vavrick yeah, in. He'll be able to answer that. <laughs> 6th Street in Austin. And there was, a, there was a club. Like, I'm trying to figure out what to do for her on her birthday, which is Tuesday. And I got to be honest, man. Okay, I take back what I said. Way to plan ahead, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't know we were going to be in Austin. So I'm... Uh, Oh, okay. I see you had the Fort Worth plans all locked down. Yeah, we were going. And then you changed cities. We were going to a restaurant that had like a, <laughs> a country music okay. uh, guy right. performing. And, you know, I don't like country anyway, so I was all for like moving locations. So we were, uh, I'm trying to figure out what to do. I'm looking at this app, Bands in Town, who just tells you all the bands in your area or whatever area you punch in. I've never heard of a single band or a single singer or whatever in the city of Austin for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Like, I've never heard of anyone. And there's a hundred of them. I'm like, in my old age, you know, I just, if it didn't come out in the early 2000s, I probably don't know they exist. So, we're walking by this Vulcan gas company. And I'm like, I know that, I know the name of that place for some reason. <clears throat> and it's a venue, you know, they'll have like small concerts and stand up there. And there was no, billboard there was nothing who told you who that told you who was going to be there 
we went back to the hotel. I wasn't on my phone most of the time other than like in the morning if I'd wake up before Amelia or maybe at night if she went to sleep before me, I'd catch up on some, you know, social media and some texts and emails. And I went on the, this Vulcan Gas Company's website the next morning and just pulled up what's going to be there tomorrow night, which was her birthday, and then the next day, and I'm like, it's Joe Rogan and friends. What? Dude, this place is tiny. I mean, the stage is the size of this conference room table. I bet you the stage is 10 feet by 15 feet. Snap. That's I mean, awesome. Think about, like, your comedians you see, like, on a YouTube special or whatever, how big the stage is. This thing's, like, you know, less than two of me deep and three of me wide it's it's very very small so they can literally hook you off the stage oh <laughs> like yeah. they do at the apollo so i'm like whoa what like there's no advertisement whatsoever you had to go on their website to even know that that joe rogan was going to be there and i don't know who friends are but th you know that'll be cool because it's probably some up and coming comedians so i go to like buy a couple tickets and they're all sold out and i'm like bummed but then the next night they have some. Well, it doesn't start till eight and we would have been flying out. So I'm getting ready to ask her, do you want to like book these and just fly out the next day? You know, I'll uh, contact somebody here to see if I can get another day off. <laughs> I don't know who, but somebody, <laughs> Nate, can I get another day off? <laughs> and, uh, when I went to show it to her, I refreshed it, and the table in front of this, like right in front of the center of the stage, popped open. Like, I guess somebody had canceled their reservation for that table. So it was front and center. Freaking awesome. And, it, and it's four-seater, so four seats open. And she's just, she's a total introvert. Getting her in, in front of the stage like that is a, it's going to be, I'm thinking I might have to throw over the shoulder to get her in there <laughs> and this was her birthday gift happy birthday honey <laughs> so so i buy all four seats at the table and it's like <laughs> that's a baller move i like yeah. it <laughs> oh it would be a baller move if tickets weren't 40 dollars each because <laughs> at first when the table popped up i'm like ah, we're not paying 400 dollars a seat you know to see this, this stand-up show it's like love the guy's podcast and everything but i'm not you know i'm not about spending that much money and then i I look at it, it's forty dollars per seat. It's everywhere in the building costs the same amount. So I'm like, she's immediately like, we're gonna get roasted. And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, no. <laughs> Cause to me, it's like we get to be part of the show, you know. So <clears throat> I buy all four with fees and taxes. It's two hundred total dollars to sit at a table three feet in front of Joe Rogan while he works on his coming Netflix special. And the first comedian goes out, and as he's leaving, he announces, and, uh, you know, surprise, surprise kind of thing. The next, welcome to the stage, Ron White, Mr. Tater Salad. Yeah. And I'm like, right. what? I'm like, I'm like, come on. No, I'm like, it ain't that Ron White. And sure enough, it was Ron. He just comes up and just starts, oof, man, he gets raunchy jokes going in the <laughs> comedy club where your uh your phones are in these like i don't know what they're like copper lined or something bags where you, you can't record or anything but uh yeah he lets them go but he was that dude was hilarious <clears throat> and joe was obviously hilarious um 
even the the openers were really good. But some of them had I could see because like I was right under the stool that was there for them to quote unquote sit on. But what they were actually doing was setting their drink, and some of them were setting notes on it, and they would read off of their notes because they're that early into this routine that they're they're practicing. So they're deciding like what jokes are going to go into the to the bit and what jokes are are not going to make it based on how the audience reacts. So I'm thinking like, you know, these guys are essentially selling text, right? Selling text, comfort advisors, whatever you want to call it. They're at home carving out time to write out a presentation. Their presentation looks like jokes. <clears throat> They're then running these jokes by people like Joe Rogan himself uh, said that he told this one joke to his wife and she said, yeah, nobody's going to laugh at that. She couldn't have been more wrong. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was pretty hilarious. I don't want to give it away because you guys go ahead and enjoy it. And um, so they're running them by people at home, seeing how they land. And then they're they're practicing them in the mirror so they can work on their presence and their body language and their facial expressions and timing. You know, timing's got to be really big. And and then they're going to these tiny little clubs. I mean, I bet this place sat 300 people total. And you had Joe Rogan and Ron White there. 300 total people. Standing, maybe it was six, seven, eight hundred. I don't know, but this was seating because it was a, you know, stand-up club. <clears throat> so they go through all that. They get in front of all these people. They take a an enormous risk of, and every comedian's had it happen to them of bombing. They call it where you get up there and let these jokes go, and they just they're not connecting with the audience, and the audience just starts booing you. When we talk about the fear of rejection, and we're we're going to be doing an episode here shortly on the fear of rejection, <clears throat> um, but we talk about that when we're just dealing with the you know with a housewife or a couple or whatever, asking them to buy and them saying no. Imagine you're in the kind of fear of rejection where they could start throwing things at you, and often do. And uh, the Austin crowd not quite as hostile as the crowd that we're closer to, the Philly crowd here. They can be pretty hostile in Philly. <laughs> yeah. That's why they grease the poles. <laughs> wow. What club are you talking about, buddy? <laughs> so I was just watching the enormous amount of work that goes into it, and everybody of the four were at different parts of their presentation. So it was like, I don't know if you're supposed to talk about this stuff, kind of feel like a jerk for doing it if I'm not supposed to, but my apologies, Ron White, if you're listening to this, which I'm sure you are. Uh, like, Joe was the furthest along. He had no notes. His his was pretty polished. I think he said one time, like, something like, that one's not going in the special. Like, it just, it was a little sideways. Uh, hilarious, but probably a little more than he wants out in the, in the ethos, you know. So, <clears throat> and then it went down from there in terms of, like, how far along they were to Ron was probably... He was probably right in the beginning of his. I mean, he's reading a note for like every other joke and trying, trying, clearly trying them for maybe the first time in front of an audience and like getting the feedback. And again, said a couple of times, that one's not going in. Like <laughs> just, be, you know, being that real with the audience. But you're, you're getting, taking this beating, you're telling jokes and all you want is people to laugh and connect and they don't. 
and you're just standing up there with all these people who paid money for you to make them laugh and you can't do it. This is raw, man. This is real rejection. And 99.9% of comedians that have ever lived will never make $100,000 a year doing it. And the technicians in these trades have the opportunity to do that. Not easily, but much more realistically than these comedians do. Now, granted, we have to learn some pretty technical, mechanical things, but still... It's a lot easier to get through than having people like angry at you as you walk out because they wasted their money on you. This, this has happened to every comedian. <clears throat> so I was wondering if we could, you know, as a, as a, as a uh, culture in the trades and in the selling tech world, if we could maybe look at it a little bit more like that. Like we have a responsibility to make this presentation as clean and crisp and connecting with our clients as possible. And maybe let's take some time outside of work and work on writing that presentation and that script and then practice it on people and role play it. You know, they, they get in their groups of comedians and hang out and have drinks and role play their stuff. It's part of what they do. And we can do that everywhere. Get in the mirror and practice your facial expressions and timing. Practice your enthusiasm for the products. You, you should be enthusiastic about the products you sell, right? Because they're they're good products that change people's lives. However, in your seventh year of talking about the same thing four times a day every day, of course your enthusiasm wanes. There's no way you, if you have the same amount of enthusiasm. You have to learn to create it. And you do that by role-playing. Role-playing enthusiasm. So if we could get more like that and take our, our trade more seriously on the communication end, we're unstoppable. There's nothing you can't accomplish. That's right on, Brian. And it's something that we want to continue uh, looking at every single week here when it comes to what we're doing and bringing communication training. And I, I love the challenge there to go home and actually work on the craft. And, I, and when we say that, we, we don't mean the technical side. I mean, that's good too. But work on the communication craft and get that dialed in. It's time now for our review of the week. And who do we have up this time, Brian? Chris Pierce, 23. Best podcast, five stars. Get ready. This is a long one. I like it already, though. Thank you. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Thank you, Chris Pierce, 23. We appreciate the support, buddy. <laughs> every time, every time. I love it. All right. We are going to turn now to part two of our conversation with Joe Cunningham, and we're going to put him in your passenger seat. Joe Cunningham is the president of Success Track Network, that is an industry leading provider of profit building programs. He has been in the industry for decades and has worked with large and small, uh, well-known best practice groups to help them create their training programs and procedures. He's been the president of Future University, the industry's first contractor-owned premier training organization. He was instrumental in the first wave of the industry consolidation. He created, directed, and produced the first nationally televised, regularly scheduled HVAC training program. And he was the honorary chairman of the President's Small Business Council under President George Bush. 
Uh, that and so much more is what Joe Cunningham is going to bring to the show today. We're going to pick off where we left last week. Uh, Joe is right in the middle of a conversation about talking uh, about getting through the home. And instead of doing it in such a way where you are telling the client what they should do and, and, and why and this, that and everything else, he flips it on his head and has these great questions to help provoke the answers and dialogue that you're looking for to have a great customer experience. Turn now to Joe Cunningham, picking up where he left off. One of us at this meeting does know something about air conditioning, and one person has to be in control of this call. So the person that knows needs to be in control so he can lead the unknowing person to seeing problems that he may not know they have because an air conditioning system will destroy itself. Totally unknown to the homeowner. So we asked three questions. The thermostats are a really easy place to take them, and it's non-confrontational. It's easy to get the answers that you want. So we take him there. We ask him, is this where you normally set the thermostat? Whatever it is. And uh, they'll say yes, or they'll say no, or no, I've been trying to get it turned on, so I got it turned way down, or I got it turned way, whatever. Now, sometimes homeowners that have an agreement We'll try to get you to do a service call for free by just calling you out to do a tune-up, knowing the unit won't run. So that's why I want to look at that thermostat. Now, if the thermostat is backlit, but it won't turn on, I see that the batteries are probably dead and it's got another problem. The minute I touch that that thermostat, I'm going to be in charge of the problem, so I'll have to fix it for free. So I just point at it and say, is this where you normally uh, set the thermostat? They'll say yes. I say, well, you mind showing me how you operate it? They might say, you don't know how to operate a thermostat? Yes, sir, I sure do, but I'd like to see how you operate it. And then if it won't come on, it won't come on, and it's not my call. If, if I touch that thermostat, and it won't turn on, and he says, well, it works fine until you touched it, there I am troubleshooting for free. So I don't want to do that. I just Right now, I'm just going to have a conversation. And then my next question to him is this. If I had to ask which is the most uncomfortable room in the house, which one would you say? I don't ever ask if they have a hot spot or a cold spot or an uncomfortable room. Because it's too easy to say no. But if I ask that question, it causes them to think, and they'll usually give me a room. And I'll say, great, while we're looking at the rest of your house and your equipment, I'll take a peek in there. might be able to make some adjustments and make it a lot better. Would that be okay? They never say no. Well, now he just gave me permission to look all through his house at these comfort problems. And then the final one is, who in the house suffers most from allergies? Well, if they have somebody suffers from allergies and they give me a name, I know that I'm going to include that person's name in my presentation when I talk to them about IAQ. So now, in that first two or three minutes, you know, I've, I've started solving that one issue where people only buy a solution to a problem they know they have because if he's got a problem, I'm going to bring it up, and I'm only going to bring it up because he asked me. And I'm not being pushed. And it allows me to look at more stuff. So then I show them a diagram of where I'm going in the house. Say, okay, well, here's what I'm going to do. First thing I'm going to do is check your filter. I need you to show me where that is. Then I'm going to check your furnace and I'm going to do whatever. I show him everywhere I'm going. So he knows where I'm going to be in this house. And he also knows I'm here on a no cool call, but I'm going to look at your furnace. He thinks that only provides heat. So he's going to ask me, what are you looking at my furnace for? It's 110 in here. And I can tell him there's a blower in there. Because I'm going to pull this blower assembly out while I'm there. He doesn't know he's got a dirty blower. But I'm going to pull the blower assembly out so I can show him. 
he's not going to ask me to clean his blower wheel because he doesn't even know he has a blower wheel. He's not going to have me clean his blower wheel until he sees that it's dirty. He's not going to see that it's dirty until I pull it out. I can't pull it out if I don't go to the furnace, so I've got to find that problem so I can show him so he can buy the solution. But I'm, I'm setting myself up to solve the most problems for my customer and not having feel offended or like I'm pushing something on it. I never want to sell a customer something they don't want, don't need, or can't afford. But I do want to show him everything that's wrong, but I want to get his permission to do it. So now he knows where I'm going and what I'm going to do. And then I just tell him, I'm going to check your system now. I'll be looking for anything to short life your system or cause excessively high utility bills. If I find anything, would you like me to make a list and share it with you? Just go ahead and fix it. 99% of them say, don't you do anything until I see that list. Well, now he just asked me for a list of everything in the whole house, and I told him I was going to look at everything. I mean, how much more do you want the customer to do? That's so, so, now that's so good, Joe. I love it. Thing in the house, find all the problems to bring the problems back to him. Now he knows he's got a problem. I offer him a solution, and generally the price issues start going away. The decision-making starts becoming easier. You show me what that problem is, and it makes easier. It makes it easier for me to choose whether I'm going to have my blower wheel cleaned or not. And the real numbers are... 30% of the blower wheels out there today need to be pulled and cleaned. They just don't get pulled and cleaned because the technician either doesn't set himself up so the customer thinks it's okay or the technician's too lazy to pull it. He thinks it's too much work. When he needs to get it out of there, if he gets it out of there and does it, he's going to do a blower wheel cleaning for $350, $400, $500, $600, whatever your charge is. And when we talk about dirty blower wheels, 50% of them are hooked to a dirty coil. So why wouldn't I pull the high limit switch out and get a picture of that so I could ask the customer what he thinks? Uh, Mic drop there, Joe. That's, that's really good <laughs> stuff. I love how I love how you just walk walk us through that. And like, what were summarize those first three questions for us? Like the basic ones you start off with. Yeah, is this where you normally set your thermostat? If I had to ask, which is the most uncomfortable room in the house? Which one would you say? And who in the house suffers from allergies most? That's great. Now, have you done any any type of training or you know uh, similar questions for plumbing or electrical? Because we have a great deal of those listeners yeah, plumbing as well. Plumbing is, is plumbing just changes a little bit, you know. So let's we, let's take a look at the typical plumbing call. You know, when we go in there, you have to go to the problem. There is no thermostat, so that's uh. So I have to get the customer to take me to the problem, but as we're walking through the house and asking problems. And I know we're going to be working on water or sewer. I mean, if it wasn't for water or sewer, I wouldn't be at the house. So as I'm in there, I know I've got water hooked up to it. Say, let me ask you something. How often do you run out of hot water here in the house? Now, if I walk through the family room and I see a photo on the mantelpiece of his three teenage daughters that are in the house, this poor guy didn't even know he has hot water. Because he hadn't seen a hot shower in three years. You know, and how often do you run out? And then, you know, that it may talk and say, you know, your master bedroom's way back here. How long does it take to get hot water back here? Anyway, ask him the question. Which fixture seems to drain the slowest? Don't ask him if he has one that's slow. Just which one drains the slowest? And the thing about plumbing fixtures is this. Plumbing fixtures, unless there's something big shoved down the drain, don't slow down all at once. It's incremental. 
And incremental slowdowns, incremental speeds up, incremental anything, you don't notice it because it happens a little at a time. You know, you're, if you have a master bedroom and you have a double bowl vanity in there, and uh, we're looking at which side's going to drain the slowest. Well, it's going to be her side. Well, why? Because that's where she puts her makeup on. And makeup is made out of the same product that they make cement out of. And she brushes her hair there. Because she's got more hair than he does, the hair comes out and it goes down in the drain. And that forms like reinforcement, rebar and concrete. And it fills the trap up a little bit at a time. It doesn't stop up all at once, just a little at a time. A little slower, a little slower, a little slower, a little slower, a little slower. If I can get him to tell me any drain in the house is slower, that will allow me to look at all his drains. And plumbers don't take advantage of technology enough. If you get a fairly inexpensive thermal imaging camera and you go through the house and you turn the hot water on in every sink and you take a picture of the trap, it will tell you how much sediment is in the trap. It's really simple. So I'm going to show him one side that doesn't have any sediment in the trap. Then I'm going to show him his wife's side of the sink, and it's near full. All it's going to take is one more wad of hair, and it's going to stop. It forgets slow. It's going to stop. So why not offer him that repair while you're there? And then I ask him the same question almost as the, as the air conditioning guys. You know, while I'm here, I'll check your entire plumbing system. I'll look for anything that could cause any water damage or unsafe conditions. If I find anything, would you like me to make a list and share it with you? Just go ahead and fix it. Same answer. Don't do anything till I save that list. But the plumbers just add one more question. Great. While I'm doing that, I'll also tag all your cutoff valves for you. That way, in case you have an emergency, you'll know exactly what to turn off before any damage occurs, okay? They always say okay. Now, what did the guy just ask you to do? Well, he asked you to inspect every friggin' plumbing fixture in the whole house. You went there for a slow drain, or you went there to rebuild a toilet tank, or you went there to replace the disposal, now you get to look at the whole house. People only buy a solution for a problem they know they have. Now you find a problem, you offer them the solution, somebody's going to buy something. You're already there. You already incurred the biggest amount of your overhead, which is getting my plumber to the house. So why don't I look at, ask him to look at everything? You take the average house. You've got two bathrooms. He's got a kitchen. He's got a double bowl sink in the kitchen. He's got a disposal. He's got a stop valve for every one of those fixtures in the house, and he's got a gas water heater. How much stuff do you get to look at? I mean, you're going to look at 17 or 18 things before you leave, plus you should be pulling the anode rod and checking the TNP valve. So if you do all that on every call, instead of rebuilding that toilet tank for whatever you find, you're going to find two slow drains Two stops that need to be replaced. You're going to find a water heater with a bad anode rod. And two times a week, you're going to find somebody that needs a tankless water heater. And if you're smart, you'll offer him. And just about every call needs some form of water conditioning. And here's the here's the, the best part about that is if you go and you only unclog a kitchen sink drain, let's say, and, and you're whatever you are, $300, $400, uh-huh. $500, you know that you're going to be fighting for a great review on something that they find out, you know, an hour later they could have gotten done by, you know, Roto handyman for $99 versus if you did Mm -hmm. every plumbing thing in the house that needed to be upgraded for, you know, however many thousands of dollars it would cost to do it with your organization that you're in, 
that's like a, um, that's nearly a guaranteed five star review. Like yeah. you, you never get low one star reviews on people that do a ton of work with you because they really, no. they really experience the improvement in their plumbing system. And when you go just yep. auger a toilet and, and you have to charge them $300 or whatever you charge. I'm going to piss off about that. There's no value that it's, it's, hor- you know, you would feel the same way if, a, if you didn't do plumbing and a plumbing came out to your house and, and charged you $300 for 15 minutes of work, zoomed in You're and right. out, barely had a conversation with you, didn't look at anything else. So at least build the value in, uh, hey, while I'm here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it upon myself to check your entire system for you. You're paying for me to be here anyway. That's right. Joe, what about on the electrical side? I mean, obviously everything relates back to the panel, but what are some uh, some critical questions to ask same there? Thing, you know, it's, it's the same thing. You just have to figure, you know, what causes most customers to have problems? So there's questions you ask them. You know, which breakers trip regularly? Don't ask him if he has one. Ask him which ones trip. You know, I'm looking around your house. You got a lot of nice stuff. Is there any place that you'd really like to have an extra outlet that you don't have now? Do you folks use cell phones? Yeah. Do you ever find yourself looking for your chargers all the time? I know my kids hide them all the time. Do yours? Yeah. Have you ever seen one of these things where you can charge your phone anywhere you want to right at the outlet? How many places would you like one of these? And, you know, most of the people don't even know they can get up an outlet with a USB port in it to charge their phone at three different spots in the kitchen and by the recliner and on the side of the bed and never have to worry about finding the charger again. Have you ever run across, you know, or, or what would you say if one of our technicians gets out in the field and they start asking some of these questions and they start, the, the homeowner starts getting hostile? Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, I called you out here for a drain. Uh, there's no reason for you to go all through the basement. Well, here's the thing. You're not setting it up right if you don't. And I've ridden with a lot of plumbers. A lot of them said, well, while we're here, we'll give you a complimentary plumbing inspection. Nobody wants that. That means you want to go look at all my stuff to see if it's bad. It's how you set it up. All right, I'm going to go ahead and take care of your toilet. And while I'm here, I'm also going to inspect your entire plumbing system. And here's what does it. I'll be looking for anything that could cause any water damage or unsafe conditions. If I find anything, would you like me to list it and share it with you? Just go ahead and fix it. I didn't ask him if you wanted me to do it. I just told him I was going to do it, but I gave him a benefit for it. The benefit is I'm going to look for anything that could cause what? Any water damage or unsafe conditions. Now, let me ask you, how much water damage do you want in your house? Zero. And how many unsafe conditions do you want in your house? Also zero. So so the chances of me telling you not to look for that are just about the same thing that you gave me. And then I'm giving them a choice. If I find anything, you may make a list and share it with you, just go ahead and fix it. Well, don't do anything until I see it. I mean, I don't want you just going through everything. Just let me know what you see. The guy just asked you for the list. How, then how can he say, I called you out here to fix my toilet. Why don't you look in here? I, well, I told him I was. And great, while I'm doing that, we're going to pile a little more value on there. I'll go ahead and tag all your valves for you. That way, in case you ever have an emergency, I mean, nobody's here. You'll know exactly what to turn off before any damage occurs, okay? What's the downside of that? 
I don't want to damage the turf. I don't know how to turn this stuff off. So then I get my valve bag, hot water, cold water, gas, and I hang it on every cut valve in the house. Every stop's got my business card on. But I like, see, if, I like that. if you're getting, if you are getting the, why are you looking for this thing? Because you're not preparing correctly. And that's where a lot of techs make a mistake. They don't, they don't take the time prepping up front. They want to come in, see the problem, get the fix and explain that and get out. Well, when it comes to dealing with customers, slower is faster at the front. Take your time up front. Why are you in such a hurry? You know, what you say now is going to be a determining factor in whether you fix one thing or five things. Now, the customer, like you said, will be more pissed off at you if you come in and charge him $300 to auger the toilet than if you come in, auger the toilet, uh, find that he has severe calcification on two stop valves under the utility cabinet and replace those because they're leaking. You look under the kitchen sink and you see that that trap's leaking and you fix that and you do a thermal imaging of all the traps in the house and you find out that the, the, the trap under the, in the master bedroom under her sink is also half full of sediment. So you clean it out. So now your ticket's going to be a thousand dollars and he's going to complain less. So how do you, how do you wage against that? Joe, I mean, so a technician, like, because that's default for a lot of guys, right? That that's, mm-hmm. that's ingrained. And perhaps even that was trained, you know, yeah. hey, hey boy, you're not here to go through the house. You get in there, <laughs> and you fix your stuff and you, you get out. Right. So how do you, how do you start turning the tide on that so that it becomes more of the habits and less of the force? Here's what I challenge every technician to do. They can prove me right or they can prove me wrong. Practice saying those statements until you get them to where you can say it in a conversational manner. As conversational as, hey, you got a beautiful yard out there. What kind of fertilizer do you use? You need to be able to say that statement. While I'm here, I'm going to check out your entire plumbing system. I'll look for anything that's causing any unsafe conditions or water damage. If I find anything, would you like me to make a list and share it? Just go ahead and fix it. Needs to be that conversation. Okay. Then when you can say it conversationally, I want you to say it to the next 10 customers and tell me what they say. Just tell me what they say. And you tell me the feedback you get from your customers. Don't sell to yourself. And that's the big mistake they do. See, customers even ask you questions that cause you to screw up. They say, like, what would you do if this was your house? And then the tech thinks real fit. Quick. But what I do is uh, I'd find out what was wrong with it and I would go down and get a little part and I'd come back and do the work myself when I get home after after I get done running my calls because I know how to fix this stuff. And uh, the part only costs this much and heck, it wouldn't take me that long. Then I'd have a beer and I'll watch TV. And that's how they look at it. And if they were going to be honest, that's what they tell the customers. But see, when the customer says, what would you do if this was your house? Here's the right answer. Here's what they're really saying. What would you do if this was your house and you were me? Because now the parameters change. See, what you would do if you're, if, if that were your house and you were them, they don't know how to do plumbing. They don't know how to do electrical. They don't know how to do HVAC. 
So what they would do is greatly different. So what they're going to have to do is call somebody that knows how to do it. Does anybody that you know know how to do it better than you? And if not, why shouldn't you explain to them the right way and fix it for them at the right price so they're happy with that solution and while you're there, fix it all? Because here's what has to happen for me to have a plumber come to my house, an electrician come to my house, or an HVAC person come to my house. I have to take off of work and have my pay doc. I have to sit in a house that's probably uncomfortable. I have to wait for you because I got a two-hour window. The lady said he'd be there between 10 and 12. I heard 10. The tech gets there at 11.58. He thinks he's early. And then he's going to try and quick talk me into something that I don't understand. He charges me $300 for something that cost, took 15 minutes. And uh, he thinks I'd be more unhappy if you fixed everything so I don't have to go through this again. And that's it. See, if you don't tell me, I'm not going to have you do it. But it, but then when it breaks down, I mean, that, that kitchen sink that was leaking, but I didn't know because I hadn't opened the cabinet for three months. When I finally look under there and see it, now I'm going to have to go through the whole same process again. Do you think I want to do that? When if you'd have taken a look at it, you could have fixed my kitchen sink too, and it would have taken you another 20 or 30 minutes. You're doing the customer a favor by giving him the option of seeing everything and doing it while you're there for a lower cost than coming back in five or six trips. You did not break his system. You did not make it leak. You did not organize, ignore it while it went back. That happened. He's calling you as an expert to take, take care of his plumbing needs, not to unstop his sink, not to fix his toilet, but to fix his plumbing. That includes everything. So, Joe, I, I, I appreciate greatly what you're saying, and it lines up perfectly with so many of the mentalities that we train as well. And a lot of what you're talking about is setting the foundation of education for the client so that a lot of the heavy lifting, so to speak, is done up front. And then when it comes to the table, you know, it's more of like, yes, yes, yes. Right. Right. So let's say that you get to the, the table and you thought you thought that you've done the heavy lifting, uh, but the client is not on the same page. Is there recovery from that when they say, whoa, whoa, I wasn't expecting a five figure run here. Is there recovering from that? Do you go back and re-educate? Do you have to abandon it and, and change course? Or what does that look like? No. Here's the thing. Too many times the technician is there. Plumbing, HP, is here. It doesn't matter. The customer comes back and says, oh, man, that's a lot of money. I wasn't expecting that much. Okay. Well, here's the thing. We immediately become defensive at that point. Okay. When... And that's the wrong thing to do. We become in an ultimately weaker position when we're trying to explain why we're trying to help him. So when they bring that up, you have to ask the question. Like, yeah, it does seem to be a lot of money. Why were you surprised about that amount for this much work? And shut up. Then now when you say that, he is now in a position where he has to explain why he feels that way, which opens the door to allow you to explain why what things are. If you immediately say, well, don't you understand that this costs this and this costs that? We have to do a lot of this. We have to do it. 
see, you're defending it, and it seems like you're pushing back. Well, if you say, you know, it, yeah, it, sometimes, you know, that does seem like a lot of money, but why do you feel like it's too much? Uh, it causes him to think and explain why he thinks it's too much. Now, here's a couple things that will happen. I think it's too much because I've only got about $1,000 in the bank, and I need a couple tires on my pickup truck. Doesn't have anything to do with plumbing. That problem is all what? It's all budget. I do not have that money. So now, because we probably forgot to tell him we have financing for those things, and he brings that up, that either gives me an opportunity to offer financing or to schedule part of the repairs today and part of the repairs in two weeks when he gets his next paycheck. But either way, he told me how to handle that issue. You can't just automatically assume that he's telling you it costs too much. You got to feel, you got to find out why he's saying that. And what you think he's saying might not be what he's saying. It might be the new tires for the pickup. It could be his kid needs braces. It could be that the refrigerator went out last week. It could be that his friend does it and he told him he should pay this much. You know, but his friend lives in New York City and you're working in Chicago. So, you know, the friend can't come fix it anyway. So what does that have to do with it? So he's he's telling you what he thinks. You got to find out what he thinks and why he's saying that. Okay, so how do you do that? You ask him. Just like I said, you know, I didn't expect it to be this much money for that. You just ask him. So this seems to be too much money for all of these repairs. And he'll say, yes, would you mind explaining why you feel that way? And he'll go into it and he'll tell you. You just have to ask the question. Do you feel it's too much? Just repeat back to him exactly what he said. Why do you feel that way? And shut up. See, if all you do is talk, you're only learning what you already know. You don't know why I said that. So you got to ask. And when you ask, they tell you. Well, so let me push back on that a little bit, Joe, because uh, okay. we, we do, we are familiar with Sandler training. I don't know if you've ever heard of Sandler training before, mm-hmm. but uh, they have a rule of ISS, which stands for intellectual smokescreen, right? So uh-huh. it's basically a diversion. I'm going to tell you, well, yeah, I, uh, you know, I got a thousand dollars in the bank and um, my truck needs new tires. Well, okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could have bought the tires yesterday and your truck doesn't need new tires. So you know, is that legit? Is that honest? I mean, a lot of times well, tell, clients he, he lie. Could, well, I understand that. But if he pulls the old, I need new tires on my pickup truck. What he did was give me two or three other ways to come back and go around that. So the issue is that you, you don't have this in your budget and you really need to get the tires for your pickup. Is that right? Now, if I say that, he will always say that's right. He's not going to tell me. He told me a lot. And then if you have financing, that allows you to bring your financing up. If you have repairs that could be made today or and part of them could be put off for a week or whatever, that gives you a chance to handle that particular one. So you've got to get him to tell you something. And if I don't get him to tell me whatever he wants to use as his reason, there's no way I can say anything. 
other than, okay, we'll call you back later. So that's how I handle it. And it seems to be the easiest way, you know, and everybody's got a system for doing anything. But the, the main thing that I find that works is get the customer's reason or excuse. And it could be either one. You know, it could be I'm trying to get you out of here and I don't want to spend that much money. But I want to take whatever excuse he's giving me and show him that I have a solution for that problem. So now what he's forced to do now is come up with another creative reason. And they're usually not that fast. Okay, so the budget is definitely one outcome, and, and that's that's real. That happens, absolutely. Yeah, it does happen. Another one is, <clears throat> I just don't like this. I, I don't think I need it. Like, that's that's a lot of money. I don't think I need it. That's interesting. Why do you feel that way? That's what I asked. Well, you know, I've, I've lived in this house for 20 years, and uh, we seem to have been doing just fine this whole time. I'm, I don't need any new high fan dangled thing or whatever. You know, we're, we're doing okay here. Well, you know, and here's the thing. What is it that I offered him? So did I offer him repairs? Did I offer him a replacement? Did I offer him a new type of alternative? Did he have a visible and tangible reason for having to replace it? So, you know, as we go back to a plumbing HVAC call, it doesn't matter. You know, if he's got a leak that he didn't know he had, it's going to be hard for him to say, I don't think I need that thing. Right. If he's running out of hot water all the time and he agrees as we walk through there, both he and his wife agree that they'd like to have a source where they didn't have to run out of hot water all the time. They had hot water anytime they needed it. And that would be a great idea. It's harder for them to back up, but he could still say, you know, well, we've been dealing with this running out of hot water thing for a long time. So I guess we can do it a little bit longer. I just asked him another question. Is that what you really want to do? And he will say, no, that's not what I really want to do. But it might be what we have to do. And then I ask him, why do you feel that way? And then when he says why he feels that way, he has an aversion to spending money right now. So I have to find out what the reason is for that aversion. So the aversion is, you know, did I try and sell him a tankless water heater for $6,500 or did I try and sell him a tankless water heater for $189 a month. Right. Yeah. And back to what you said earlier that, you know, nobody who actually wants a product complains about the price. Like, you know, we, we, yeah. we have ways of explaining value in our head. In fact, many times we actually over justify something that we really want and we'll pay more for it than we probably should. All the time. You know, we get that emotional high and like, you know, Oh man, I, I just, I would love a motorcycle. And so we start like watching motorcycles and we see them on the roads and we see them. Oh, there's one parked in our neighbors and like, Oh, Oh, here's one for sale. And then we're looking at listings and then we overpay on it because we get this emotional high and we're like, I really, really want one of these. And you know, the, the whole yeah. logic train goes out, goes out the door and we're buying emotion, which is way. how you buy all, all the time. <laughs> so how how do you create the i mean you know the old the old saying well like where there is no pain there's little motivation how do you create pain where there is none that kind of goes back to your education piece or how do you create emotion and passion it's back to the, you know how often you run out of hot water in your house so we'll, we'll use that example right well all the time because my daughters take these long showers i don't know what happens i go in there to take a shower and i can't even take one wow that's terrible how long do you usually have to wait till the water gets hot again? 
He'll tell you. Takes that long? What do you do while you do that? I usually watch TV. But suppose you want to take a shower in the evening. It's getting kind of late and you're tired. You got to get to sleep. Then what would you do? Could you still stay up for an hour and watch TV while you're waiting for the water to heat up? And is that what you want to do? And how would you feel in the morning after that? And wouldn't it be nice to know that no matter what happened, no matter how long they stayed in the shower, just as soon as they got out, you could get in. You don't have to wait. You don't have to do that. You take a shower then. If you wanted to, you'd get up in the morning, take another one, feel refreshed as you ever have, get to work and knock it out of the park every day. So you you take those reasons. I got to find out what he's doing. I got to find out what the pain point is. I got to find out what the problems are. I got to make him think about being tired in the morning. I got to make him think about all that and then ask him, wouldn't you like, wouldn't you like, wouldn't it be better? Wouldn't it be better? It's just like selling a 10-year parts and labor warranty. I got to find the customer that's had problems with his service on his air conditioning system. And I got to get him to tell me how much he's been wasting, getting the same fix, and it's always broken down. And then in my presentation, I got to tell him one of the things you'll love about our system is it's going to come with a 10-year full parts and labor warranty, which means that you won't have to spend another nickel for the next 10 years keeping this thing going. Wouldn't that be great? It's the same thing. So as you ask these questions and you find the pain points, you have to relate it back to how big of a pain point it is, how often does he have the pain, and how good would it feel when the pain went away. But you can't do that if you're in a hurt. So uh, uh, one thing that uh, you know is inevitably going to happen is you do all this work of explaining mm-hmm. And painting the picture and revealing the pain and it's beautiful and wonderful. And then somebody drops the line that says, this all sounds good and well, Joe, but I'm going to have to check with my spouse. Okay. Well, a couple things. Okay. Service guys get set up in that situation more than a sales guy does. So now they got to check with the spouse. So I said, well, I understand that you need to check with your spouse, but let me ask you something. Don't you think he or she has these same problems? Well, I don't know if they do or not. Well, you are living in the same house, aren't you? And you do kind of go to bed about the same time, don't you? And the hot water will run out just as quick for her as it runs out for you, won't it? So do you think your wife would like to have this kind of a benefit? So I got to get him to say or her to say that they think that spouse would like that. And then I ask them, so what do you think would be a reason that they wouldn't want to do this? And I get them to say that too. And then I either set another appointment or I get them on the phone and close it there. How do you, let's go, let's walk through that real quick. Nate, you want to be that client again and uh, throw that objection out and let's, let's see Joe either get uh, Sarah Minnick on the phone or close the appointment right here. Mm-hmm. So Joe, I love what you're yeah. saying and, and you know, I can definitely appreciate it and I, I'm ready to move forward with the repair here. Uh, but some of these other things that you were you know, saying would be nice and stuff like that. I, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not sure I'm ready to move on that right now. I'm going to have to talk that over with my wife. Okay. Well, I sure understand that. Now you, you've got to agree with, if you don't agree with them, it will seem as if you're being argumentative. 
I certainly understand that. But let me ask you this, because now, anytime you agree, you can, if you look at their face, you can almost see the sales resistance go away. Because when he brings up the, I got to talk to my spouse, or she brings it up, you'll see the sales resistance go up. I need the sales resistance to go away. So you have to agree with them. But let me ask you this. You know, we talked about the problem with the hot water or whatever it is we're talking about being this. Do you think she's experiencing those same issues too? Yeah, it's, it's come up actually before. Um, and, and, you know, she's mentioned that it would be nice if, uh, you know, the kids could all take showers and then uh, we'd still have hot water left. Or, or if we're doing, you know, like doing laundry and somebody's trying to take a shower at the same time, like it's, it's a problem. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's a sizable investment. And, you know, we tend to discuss those things as a couple before we move forward. Well, you know, one thing I want you to do is agree with everything. And since you've found out together that it doesn't seem to be a problem. And for what you're saying, it seems like you're looking for a solution. Is there any reason you think that she wouldn't want to do that? Uh, well, I, I don't want to speak for my wife. Um, I mean, it, it seems like something that she would certainly be interested in, but again, you know, $5,000 is $5,000. You know, that's, it's something that we weren't expecting to be spending on today's service call. I understand that. And one thing I found about my wife is she always likes to let me have her way. <laughs> so, <laughs> to make that again. sure that we can get that done for you, why don't we give her a call right now and see how she feels about solving this problem. Uh, okay. Um, I don't know if we can get a hold of her, but we can certainly give it a shot. Okay. Well, let's do that. And we get her on the phone or we set another appointment. It's really the only two shots you've got, you know, because this guy isn't going to pull the trigger because when his wife comes home and he says, you know what I did today? What's that? I bought a $5,000 water heater. Okay, she's going to kick his ass. So <laughs> she's got to be on board, you know, because they'll cancel the deal. I can't put it in that bag. So I need to get him on the phone. I need to set another appointment, one of the two. See, what happens when you have the two decision makers apart, if you don't take control of this? Here's what I'm depending on. I'm going to depend on the fact that you, during my visit with you, learned enough about my product or services to make my presentation to your wife for me, skillfully handle all of her objections, and close the deal. Now, what are the chances of that happening? Yeah, that's, that's absolutely something that we've talked about here before. When you do all That's this work with a single legger, you're expecting yeah. them to now transfer your level of enthusiasm, your level of knowledge, your expertise to somebody else. I mean, good luck, right? Yeah, and handle the objection. Not only do all that, that's the easy part, but handle her objection. So I've got to get that person on there. So, so that 
how you really have to get that done. So it's, you know, it's, you know, there's nobody that closes a hundred percent. Uh, you know, we can only get you one more, but without me getting her on the phone to get her okay, or without me getting back into the house on a $5,000 purchase, it probably ain't going to happen. And when I leave there, he might be convinced enough to get her to want a tankless water heater. But since I'm not there, and she says, how much did she, did he say he wanted for it? And you say 5,000, 6,000, 9, whatever it was. And she'll say, well, just a minute. Let's look that up and see if that's a reasonable price. And on the internet, reasonable price for a tankless water heater in Poughkeepsie. And she hits the button. You know, now she's got 40 people to call and they do the on the line lead setting. Well, you're out of there. So uh, try and get that done while you're there. Joe, you've been in the industry for decades, and I'm sure you've seen, you know, thousands of tens of thousands of texts or however many it is. Um, yeah. And you, you personally have been in the industry for a long time. As you think about that and reflect upon the, the elders in the industry, you know, the veterans, what is it that mm-hmm. you found they often uh, forget along the way? You know, you know, we, you often have that, uh, like that dummy curve going on where you're, you're kind of stupid in the beginning and then you know what you're doing and you're doing it well. And then sometimes you coast a little bit and you coast a little too much. So what is it that you've seen in people who've been in the trades for a while that maybe they've gotten a little lazy or complacent on, maybe even yourself, you've experienced that. Well, it, it happens more in the air conditioning business than in the uh, plumbing business, but you stop making presentations as well as you should. You stop asking the question. Because here's what'll happen, especially in the air conditioning business. I'm working for you, you give me leads, and it's February. So in order for me to sell in Houston, air conditioning systems in February, where our February temperatures are gonna be in the 60s and 70s, so nobody even turns anything on to know if it's broken. Uh, It's tougher, so I gotta work harder. And then after February and March and April comes and then May comes and heck, it's at 90 or 100 degrees after a good spring. And uh, everybody I go to, it doesn't matter what I say because when I get to the house, the air conditioner's broken. I say, look, uh, I know you want to make a presentation, but I don't really care about all that stuff that you're doing. My air conditioner's out. I just know how, I need to know how many zeros to put on this check. So tell me and let's get it scheduled. Well, I think I have become Superman. You know, I didn't have anything to do with it. The weather did. So my presentation gets shorter and shorter and shorter. And you sell yourself on the fact that you can do that. Now, plumbing people will do the same thing. They'll start getting a little better with their skills. And uh, their presentations will shorten up because they found out how to get the yes in certain things. And they believe they have superpowers. And they shorten a presentation. And even worse than shortening the presentation is shortening the warm-up portion when you get there and ask the customer a question. We just don't ask enough questions. And I have to know why this customer is buying. I can't reiterate to him why he's buying and cause him to really want my product or service up front. The dummy curve is exactly what happens. That is part of an old Tom Hopkins presentation. He's exactly right. And it happens to most salespeople. You don't know what you're doing, so you don't make any mistakes and you cover everything and your sales go up 
And then you get so smart, you can take the shortcuts. When you take the shortcuts, the shortcuts in the presentation, whether you're using his explanation of what the steps are, mine or yours, the shortcuts are almost always taken at the beginning. We fail to get the customer to believe in us, like us enough, trust us enough to buy a high-ticket item. And we put that series of doubts in there. And then the customer automatically defaults at the end saying, well, you know what? That's just too expensive. We're going to have to get a few more bids. And you start buying it. Well, maybe it is too expensive. I'll have to go get the boss to lower the price. The price wasn't the problem. Price isn't the problem. The guy's driving a friggin' Lexus. You know, he's living in a house and he just put in a pool. You know, he's thinking about buying a Tesla. So, you know, he's, he's doing all this stuff. He's spending all the money. And you really think that your price is too high on an air conditioning system or a plumbing system for this guy if he really wants it? He buys everything he really wants. He just doesn't buy the stuff that he doesn't want. The problem is you didn't make him want it because you took those shortcuts. He didn't want it. Yep. No, you didn't make him want it. Great stuff, Joe. And, uh, you know, as an encouragement to perhaps the technicians listening to this right now who have fallen off the wagon a little bit when it comes to, you know, following the process from A to Z and not skipping letters in between, how, how do you see guys most effectively restarting or, or getting back into it or, or, you know, kind of kicking themselves in the rear to get going? Just commit to taking those steps that I've given you. Commit to asking the questions up front. Whether you're an HVAC person, ask them at the thermostat, whether you're a plumber, and you ask them at the actual fixture that you're going to work on, whether you're an electrician, when you're asking them as you go in the door, make sure you ask the questions. Get permission from that customer to allow you to look at the whole place. And you have, you're going to have to practice these statements until it's conversational. There's two parts to memorizing stuff. One is putting it in your head. The other is getting it out of your mouth. You have to say it. Role play with the people that you work with. Role play is very uncomfortable. It's supposed to be, but when you become good at role playing, you'll be exceptional in the house. And never forget to ask. Never forget to ask those questions. Never forget to ask about the thermostat. Never forget to ask about an uncomfortable room. Never forget to ask about running out of hot water. Never forget to ask about which breaker seems to trip the most or where you'd like another out. Never forget to ask those questions because as you're setting yourself up for success, the person that gets to look the most and solve the most problems is always going to sell the most. The ones that don't ask the questions, the ones that don't find the problems to solve are going to be the guys that are there performing a single task call. A single task call is where you go in and do one thing. You replace the contactors, you replace the capacitor, you fix the one sink, you rebuild the one toilet. But that's a single task call with the lowest possible ticket. The greatest opportunity to get complaints, the least opportunity to get a five-star review, the number one reason you're going to have a callback because something else is going to break down and the biggest reason for a customer to be pissed off at you because you didn't do the simple stuff. You're doing all the hard stuff. Do the easy stuff. Ask the questions. Say the statement. 
Want to check your system now. Be looking for anything to shorten life your system. Cause excessively high utility bills. If I find anything you like me, listen, share it, you just go ahead and fix it. Say it. And then go do a good inspection. Have a checklist. Check everything in the house. Bring everything back and show the customer why it would benefit them to change it. Don't just tell them. Show them. Make your options list up. Give them some choices in product and in payments, and they will buy more. Sound advice, Joe. And as we bring things in for a landing here, uh, you are in you are Success Track Network is your organization. And just That's wondering true. what uh, what is the things that Success Track Network can offer in terms of training or you know from a company wide perspective or an individual? What all do you offer? We do seminars for service roundtable service nation. If you're a member of them, you'll see me giving training classes there seven or eight times a year. Uh, we do training for many of the train distributors. If you're a train distributor, if you're a train dealer, then get with your distributor and ask. We do training there. Now, both, most of our training in those areas are based for technicians in management. We never do a technician class without doing a management class. Because unless the management knows what we're training technicians to do, it won't be implemented. And we also do retail sales, how you go into the house, sit down with mom and pop, where whatever it is is working, show them why they should take that out, throw it away, and put it in another way. We also have the Technical Arts Center, which is where our training is done for the technical part, where we can take a technician, entry-level technician in plumbing or HVAC, and turn them into a valuable maintenance tech or apprentice within 10 days. And we have trained hundreds of those guys. But over the years, I used to count the techs that I've trained. By 2008, I got to 35,000. I stopped training, or I stopped counting. Wow. So I've trained more technicians than anybody in the, in the industry. I've been in more heating and air conditioning and plumbing companies than anybody in the industry. And if I can help you, I would be proud to do whatever I can. If I can just answer questions for you, you can always give me a call on the phone. It's easy to reach me. My cell phone number is 318-286-7742, and I'd be happy to help you in any aspect of your business. Say that number again, Joe. 318-286-7742. And uh, you're happy to help. So I, I, I don't know why. I'm sure they can just rewind it, but a lot of the people <laughs> listening to this show obviously are going to be driving while they do it. So That'll be great. I'd be happy. And they can text me on that number. That's my cell phone number. Fantastic. Well, Joe, it's been a pleasure to have you on today. And you've had so many great quotes and just little tidbits about how to improve things. Really uh, great takeaways in terms of asking the right questions to lead the client through the process as opposed to being confrontational and you should do this and tell me about this. You know, I think that's, that's all so incredibly important. And as you've been in the, the training uh, realm for quite some time, I'm sure there's even more behind that, of course, and you're doing those types of trainings in your group there. But as you kind of close this out here, you know, when you think about where the industry is going, do you see the way that we do business now ever changing significantly? You know, as I take a look at the business and what the customers would like to have happen 
and what I think will happen could be two different things. You know, the internet has been good for a lot of things. It's been hurtful for a lot of things. And it's been very confusing for a lot of things. And the confusing section is what makes it easy for the HVAC plumbing and electrical business. You know, the internet has taught people to shop for price online and get what they consider to be the best deal. Well, when you get good at explaining to your customers what you are offering is not a finished good, that model doesn't always work as well. But you're going to have to get to the customer to be able to tell them that. You're going to have to focus that in your marketing. You know, people are used to buying finished goods, TVs, refrigerators, whatever kind of appliance in their house. So you and your wife decide this is the time to get our big screen TV. So you pick out the size, you pick out the brand, you search three or four sites on the Internet, and you like this brand and this model number, and you find three or four different prices, and the cheapest one in town is always the best because you're going to go get that, and you're going to bring it on, plug it, and it's going to work. And it's the same thing with refrigerators, but they don't understand that plumbing and air conditioning is something that can't be outsourced, so we can't make all the parts in another country. And we can't have it fixed over the phone in another country. And you can't take your central air or your water heater out and bring it to the shop to have it fixed. So they are buying from you an unfinished good. And when they're buying an unfinished good, you're buying the same pieces and parts. But the construction of this process changes, which allows you, if you're smart, to make a presentation different than everybody else. I have to explain how we install a system. I have to explain what warranties come with ours. I have to explain that buying off the internet isn't always a wise reason for this reason. And then I explain about the finished and unfinished goods. So I think that's gonna help us. I think we're gonna have to work harder on our explanations. And I think we're still gonna have to get into the home and augment it with the websites as much as we can. And if you do that, you will succeed. Now, what the websites are doing, uh, a lot of times you're looking at somebody's website and say, well, they're advertising this thing at a real cheap price. I don't see how they do it. They're not doing it. They're doing that to make the phone ring. So the key to, is to get in the house or to be able to talk to a person to explain what you're doing doesn't matter what you offer on the internet. What matters is I get to talk to somebody to explain what I really do. And I think that's the way this industry is going to go, all service industries. But the best part about it all is it can't be outsourced. And we're always going to be dependent on the folks that are listening to podcasts like this to do the right thing when they get out on the job. And if they do the right thing, they'll be some of the most valuable workers in the world. Love it, Joe. Great stuff. It's been a privilege to have Joe Cunningham on the show with us today from Success Track Network. Make sure you check him out. He provided his information. His website is also successtracknetwork.com. Uh, it's been great to have you on, Joe. We really appreciated everything that you had to bring. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on, and we already look forward to doing it again. Okay, guys. Thanks. I appreciate it. That's a wrap for this episode. What a great two-parter with Joe Cunningham. Just so filled with all kinds of instantly applicable items that you can bring into your presentation, your home service, your customer service right now on the next call. 
as you're listening to this. And I think a lot of those are, are so good that you should be going back and, and listening again, getting those questions, getting that confidence built into your presentation so that you're not just standing there awkwardly trying to remember which question you were supposed to ask, but you have it ready at the, uh, the tip of your tongue. Uh, great stuff by Joe. Make sure that you check him out uh, at his cell phone and website and look him up for additional information. We're so grateful to have him on. We want to leave you now with our challenge, which is the same every single week to make sure that you're improving, to make sure that you're asking the right questions and to make sure that you're choosing to wake up every single morning and waste no day. <laughs>